Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. Greg Brady dropping by imminently to look back at the weekend in the NFL. Some freewheeling, frenetic stuff, some upsets, some shocks, some comebacks. It had it all. We're going to break it all down and get you up to speed on everything you need to know. Greg Brady, it's always good to see you on a Monday after a jam-packed Sunday worth the football, particularly when we're seeing Brady in situ. So for the benefit of our pod listeners who haven't found any, any of our video on our social channels at the NC Show, if you want to do that, incidentally, Greg Brady's rocking that. Mm, it's kind of partly Midnight Caller, partly uh, <laughs> Christian Slater and Pump Up the Volume. <laughs> Got a vibe going on here. But it's a good couple it is, of It's a little of yeah, it's it's part professional studio, part the, uh, yes, uh, Christian Slater, high school student doing a pirate radio show in his basement, speaking to his classmates, telling them how awful the world is. That's That's been a lot of me over the last <laughs> six months. I'm the eternal pessimist. That's me. Hey, look that film up, kids, because uh, Bill Simmons actually did it yeah. on uh, The Ring is Excellent, a uh, rewatchable series recently, Pump Up the Volume. It has aged well, and it has influenced a whole generation, including yours truly. So uh, go deep dive on that one. All you uh, budding broadcasters. I, I, heard, I heard the same rewatchable as you did. It, uh, it gets yeah. full credit for starting the world of podcasting, for better or worse now. Your <laughs> podcast, for better. Uh, Many others. For worse. That's true. Right back at you, buddy. Right back at you. Right then. Lots to get into. Uh, We're going to kind of weave a thread together of quarterback battles, right? Because there were some really interesting ones going into uh, week six Sunday. And there were some very clear winners and losers in many of those head-to-heads, right? It was quite binary in in many respects. So let's start uh, with the headline act, the two future Hall of Famers, Brady getting the best of Aaron Rodgers and very comfortably, I was just chatting before we started recording with Ollie and Marley and saying, I was driving back from the studio, Greg, after uh, Mm -hmm. the Red Zone show that you, of course, do with us many times. So it's like a a five-plus-hour broadcast in the car, zipping back home, uh, listening to the game as I'm driving, right? And the Packers are cruising. They're 10 nothing up. I get home. My eldest son, way past his bedtime, still awake. So I go in, get it, read, you know, sit with him as he reads a story. Just so, Basically, I'm away from NFL for 20 minutes. I come back and, and the Bucks have already won the game. I mean, it was an extraordinary chain of events in the second quarter. Well, first things first, I'm sure our, uh, our, our crack executive producer uh, with a capital E, Ollie Thornton, is like, what kind of NFL household is this where a man puts his son to bed on a Sunday night? I mean, this wasn't even the Sunday late NBC game. 
and you've already got him in pajamas with some, you know, warm milk and hot chocolate and marshmallows tucked in. This kid should want to stay up and watch Rodgers and Brady. (laughs) Haven't you told him he's only got so many years left to watch Rodgers and Brady, right? He got up, I remember, woke up uh, a few years back uh, from having already gone to sleep, came downstairs and caught the final few minutes of the Minnesota Miracle, uh, which is pretty much his first NFL exposure. He thinks he thought every game was going to be like that. So he fell back down to earth with a bump. I mean, let's talk, let's break down what happened in, in that second quarter. 28 unanswered points. Uh, the pick six that Rogers threw was just the third he's ever thrown in his, his career. He almost had two, of course, when Mike Edwards took it to the two and uh, in the end, Ronald Jones punched it in uh, and they got the score pretty quickly afterwards. They've been so flawless, Greg, all mm-hmm. season long in terms of ball protre- uh, protection, but everything unraveled so quickly for Rodgers then. What do you think went so wrong? Well, yeah, they uh, they have not been in the, in too many scenarios like that so far this year. They've been in a couple shootouts. We we got to remember they you know they had a back and forth with Minnesota opening weekend. They won the game forty three thirty four, but it was very up for grabs at least late in the third quarter, if not early in the fourth. They gave up thirty points. Uh, in that late Sunday night game, uh, which your son was not watching, uh, in New Orleans against the Saints. And that was the whole, you know, Rodgers outplaying Breeze. It looks like there's a lot of life left in Aaron Rodgers' arm, and we're not so sure about that with Drew Breeze. But it it has been – I'll say this first before talking about the Packers specifically, Nat. Usually it takes you the five or six games to really gain a feel in any NFL season – who the real good teams are, who the bad teams are, tell you who they are probably two weeks in. They, they really, really do. And the expectations usually uh, don't change. Look at Miami in those first few games last year. The big surprise of the year was not that Miami was bad, but that they won five games before it was all right. said and done. We know who the terrible teams are. The teams that are going to be jockeying for that number one overall uh, pick. It has been harder in this, you know, COVID-19 world and no fans in the stands or limited fans in the stands and strange, you know, moving of game times and and game days. It's been really tough to tell who the really, really good teams are. The one team I've had the most problem with has been the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. I can't tell who they are. I know I have more questions about them than I do any other squad bar none in the NFL. I don't even know who would be second place. I've got some skepticism about the bills and I've got some skepticism about even the Steelers with Big Ben back. But I think Green Bay is just dealing with an off day and dealing with a day in which you're going to have a 35, 36-year-old quarterback not play his best and start to feel the heat a little bit and start to feel that it's going real well on the other sideline, but not necessarily on ours. I thought he lost a little bit of faith in his receivers somewhat after that pick six. And look, we've seen Tom Brady suffer those same scenarios, uh, both back with the New England Patriots and in a couple games early this season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I thought that was a loss of confidence a week ago Thursday against the Chicago Bears long before um, the, the possible forgetting of what down it was in, in the, the waning minutes of that game. So I, I'm going to chalk this up as an off day for the Packers. But remember also last year, what all of us said about Green Bay. That was a 13-3 and team in 2019. And we all, to a man, to a woman, universally, thought they weren't as good as their record in Matt LaFleur's first year. Mm. We thought to a man... That's a 13-3 and three team that might struggle in the playoffs. And boy, did they. Barely getting past Seattle, barely, and just getting absolutely everything handed to them by the San Francisco 49ers and Santa Clara. So this looks to be a better group than last season. I think they're far more equipped to win walking away uh, the NFC North, uh, which hasn't been a problem for them in most years in the last several. But I, I chalk that up to an off day, and I still think Green Bay is going to be there come January. I have to, I have to believe that I don't see any other team in the NFC North that can challenge them for that. Well, the Bears fans might uh, suggest otherwise in terms of that division, the way they keep on winning despite, I mean, not dissimilar mm-hmm. to, to Green Bay last season. Quite a few, just following your line of thought through there, Greg, quite a few, including NFL.com's Kevin Patrach. I, I noticed he, he wrote this uh, in his morning column that there might be the same issue this season with Green Bay as with last season, insofar as, and the record demonstrates this, they are fine against indifferent or weak teams. But the moment you put them up against a serious contender, they unravel pretty quickly. You look at in this particular Bucks side, which is becoming more and more apparent to me that they are 
incredibly balanced. We knew this defense could ball. Statistically, look what they were doing last season in terms of stopping the run in particular. They were leading the way again, have been leading the way against jamming the run this season. Then Vita Vea goes out and everybody's saying, well, okay, uh, the Packers are going to have a field day. Vita Vea is such a fundamental part of this defense uh, that's tipping the balance. We talked about it on last week's pod that exactly keyed on, on that player and that particular matchup. Didn't miss him at all. They didn't miss him at all. The defense was so defined, so cohesive. And of course, in a team that is led by Brady, that has Gronk. And incidentally, hello, Gronk. Welcome back to the NFL. Yeah. Five catches, 78 yards, and of course, the score. That has Evans, that has Godwin, that has so many pieces around it. They're going to get the headlines. They're going to get all the people talking about them. And if they're contenders, it's because of them. But actually, it's this defense underpinning them that I think is what makes Tampa Bay serious, credible Super Bowl contenders. Well, and that's something Tom Brady's done. You know, a guy that we have to mention as well in that offense, despite Gronk and Chris Godwin and and O.J. Howard, is Scott Miller. There's a guy bottom end of the 2019 draft, uh, sixth over a sixth round pick, 208th overall. And he's contributing 16 catches so far uh, and the touchdown and, and seeing him as a bit of a deep threat. And we've seen Tom Brady do that before. It takes nothing away from the abilities of Wes Welker, Julian Edelman or Chris Hogan in recent years. But years, but Tom Brady wants to make you a star. You earn his trust. Uh, you run the right patterns. He'll get you the football. And, uh, and uh, you know, that. here's the thing. I wonder about that sort of dog's breakfast, at running back behind Ronald Jones. I think, I think Leonard Fournette being there is, uh, is really interesting. I think LaShawn McCoy at age 32 being on that roster. Look, if anybody was going to get him in the mix, it was going to be his old Eagles coach, Andy Reid, in Kansas City last year. And, and he really couldn't find you know, uh, a good utility for LaShawn McCoy in the Chiefs offense. So those days may be long past where LaShawn McCoy last seen really with the Buffalo Bills mm. is a big, big factor. But not so much of, of teams' early records is who you're playing on a frequent basis. And my concern with the Packers, to double back to them, is I'm not so sure that they're playing teams that, that I'm remarkably impressed by. They've got to right. win over Detroit. Right. They've got to win over Atlanta. Uh, I think the Saints defense is going to give up a lot of points to a lot of different teams this year. They've got to win over Minnesota. So it's going to get interesting when they start to have to, you know, play those sort of tougher teams. But they've actually got a real fortunate schedule. And I will say, you're right about the Bears. No one had the Bears at 5-1 and one through six weeks of the NFL calendar. That's for sure. And they still have both games left against them, including January 3rd, we hope, uh, the very last week of the regular season. So if the Bears can grab both those wins against Green Bay, of course, that division is in play. If they can't, I think it's Green Bay's to lose. It was interesting, one of the, the, the uh, backs and forwards between Aaron Rodgers and Domic and Sue as well. That's always uh, always fun to yeah. see that bit of spice. And, uh, and Sue and the, and the Bucks had the last laugh. Let's give them the last word then, because I've called it uh, and put my nailed my colors to the mast and said I think they are genuine Super Bowl contenders. I'm not basing this overreaction to one game, recency bias to one game. The offense is getting more and more cohesive. We talked on the show last week, Greg, about this myth that Brady can't throw the long ball. He demonstrably can. He's looking more and more composed as the weeks go on. Gronk, as we say, is now adding to that mix. Uh, They're just getting stronger week on week. Uh, And I think they're genuine contenders. What about you? Are you buying the Bucks? Not as a, yeah, of course they're a decent team, but as a serious contender. Well, I, I think they, it was my pick to win the NFC South, and I haven't seen a thing uh, that would make me waver on them. And and to me, Nat, it's it's more about what the Saints might not be this time around. It's more right. about what maybe New Orleans isn't than what Tampa is. Um, and I think for the most part, I see the two best teams in the conference as right now the top two teams in the NFC West. I see it being the Seahawks and the Rams. And because of formatting, um, the Rams are with two losses now and the Seahawks yet to lose. The Rams are not likely to win the NFC West, which means they start on the road in the playoffs, which means they have to win two road games to get to the NFC championship. They got to win three, likely including winning in Seattle to, and, and maybe beating them a third time or at least a second time to get to the Super Bowl. But to me, it's it's sort of Seattle and the Rams and then everybody else. We know there's not a real Super Bowl contender in the NFC East. I don't know what could change our minds about that in the, ne- <laughs> in the well- next six weeks. Here's, here's my question for you. So I, I fessed up and said I missed 10, 11 minutes of 
uh, of Brady Rogers. Did you miss the entire Sunday night football? <laughs> You're calling the Rams as contenders after what happened last night. I know, I know, but I, I still think that is a very deep roster. Uh, again, I think we're seeing teams that end up just having a slip up here and a slip up there. I expect that will be the worst offensive performance for the Rams all year. And I also would say that they lost to the defending NFC champions who still have something there. Divisional game on the road. Look, they, they, I'm not sure that the Rams are going to be a high-octane offense all year long. They scored 20 against Dallas and won. They scored 17 against the lowly Giants and won. So that didn't throw me off the path too much. Um, mm. Not that it was a schedule loss, but if, if you and I went through the games in July and said Rams and 49ers in a Sunday night game, and we and and Jimmy G was a healthy quarterback. Yeah. I think we'd probably give that yeah. to the to the to the 49ers. So it doesn't throw me off too much. It just tells me how deep that division is. There's that's the one division out of all eight in the NFL, Matt. There's no easy easy games inside that division with Seattle, the Rams, San Francisco, and Kyler Murray and Arizona, who've started better than I thought they would. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it is the, the strongest division in the NFL. I think that is fair. Let's look at how the 49ers did it in a bit more detail. Then we first, you mentioned Jimmy G, who had an abject performance coming back probably too soon from injury a week ago. Looked a lot healthier and uh, 75% of his passes completed. Uh, he was doing, actually, ironically, very much what uh, Jared Goff has been doing for much uh, of the season. Keeping it simple, short, short plays relying on the yard after catch uh, very different in the, in the second half, of course, but in the first half, a very composed performance all round. And the, it was the offensive line that underpinned it all. Because again, if we're talking about big narratives going into the game, it was Aaron Donald's going to have a field day. The 49ers aren't going to be able to contain him. Oh, Jimmy G looked bad last week. It could go from bad to worse. Actually, the line held up more than capably next gen stats, uh, pointed out that Donald had just two pressures, no sacks, uh, and none of the other Rams, Brockers and co. could get anywhere near him. So the line did its job. Garoppolo, based on what he was being asked to do, uh, did their job. And you got to hand that to, to Shanahan and his specific line team and coaching team on that side for a really, really impressive job against a very dangerous front seven of the LA Rams. Well, yeah, and uh, the blocking's been great for for Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I think a lot of their, you know, their team sacks as a group of quarterbacks isn't great. It's eighteen in in six games, but eight of those are Nick Mullins, and uh, I want to say five of them against Nick Mullins was in the same half uh, yeah. three weeks ago against the uh, against the Eagles. Now, again, is San Francisco great? Are people no? Are are people concerned? Look at their next four games on the schedule. Nat at Foxborough, at Seattle, home against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at New Orleans. If they didn't grab that one against the Rams, they're sitting at two and four with the possibility that they're going to be underdogs in the next four games they play. That's patently obvious. Again, Patriots, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, you could be a three and three team now and snap of a finger a month from now, you could be a three and seven team. I might even sign up to win one if I'm the 49ers. I'll take one win off that schedule. I don't care who it's against. And if they have any playoff aspirations, they better be four and six heading into that bye week. Schedule gets a lot easier in the late term. But again, we're documenting the NFC West and how there's six tough games for all four teams. So, yeah, impressive win last night. They kept uh, Jimmy Garoppolo clean. Um, didn't have to use uh, Raheem Mostert a ton. I think he had only 17, 18 carries, and a lot of that was to preserve the lead for the 49ers. But, look, the uh, the injuries that they've suffered and the defensive players they've ended up uh, you know missing – over much of the season and it begins and ends with Nick Bosa. That'll come back to haunt them over the next four weeks. I don't see, I see the Niners as a team that can step up and beat you on a week to week basis. But I think for Kyle Shanahan, it's, it's too tough. They, they look a lot like the Rams did last year. Remember defending Super Bowl losers, defending NFC champions. And you, you play that first place schedule and everybody's got that target pinned on your back and, and it gets a little tougher and it's going to be tough for the 49ers over the next month or so. Yeah, uh, just before I get onto the Ram schedule, to echo your point there as well, I love the idea of uh, oh, I love the slogan "Defending Super Bowl Losers." I'm going to start printing up those shirts uh, and selling them on the Monday morning. Tenants, I know those aren't great ball caps to wear. I think, they, uh, wear I think I'd buy one. You can go to the pub again. I'm going to try it in Tampa if we if we even make it there this year. I'll be in the uh, in Tampa Bay's airport on Monday morning, flogging this those t-shirts. Like the Ursays <laughs> would would put up in their banner like AFC uh, Conference Final Participant, right? With the uh, with the with the famed banner that the Colts hung. 
after making it to the AFC title game. And people are like, that's not something you hang a banner for, uh, Robert Ursay or Jim Ursay. Um, let's look at the Rams' next five then, because it is similar. And it is your point, of course, to, to some degree, of course, with the, the West in the mix here. So they've got the Bears, uh, then the Dolphins. Of course, we'll talk about them in a minute. And the first uh, sighting of, of Tua as an NFL uh, player, yeah. which is exciting and I'm sure uh, a, a key moment for both of us as long-suffering Dolphins fans. Uh, they've got the Seahawks after that, then the Bucks, and then, as you say, the 49ers. So that is a hell of a run. We'll find out a lot more about the Rams in the next month or so. You're not worried about them. Let me throw this stat at you. Uh, averaging, this was in Sunday Night Football last night, averaging just 5.2 yards per attempt, this is Goff, uh, completing just 50% of his passes. That in particular is the one that worries me, right? The fact he's getting short yardage per attempt, welcome to Jared Goff uh, and the Sean McVay offense, right? But 50% of his passes, that's really, really uncharacteristic. Uh, so really off the mark there, Tyler Higby was the only receiver that picked up over 50 receiving yards, the tight end. Couldn't get anything else going with any of his other receivers, it's, and again, we talk a lot about overreaction to one game, to one bad performance. Every team in the history of the NFL has one bad performance in the season, even if the Patriots in 2007 saved that for the, <laughs> for the Super Bowl against <laughs> the Giants. But it happens, right? Apart from our fantastic Miami, unbeat Miami Dolphins. So is that all that was? Is this all it was? They were just off their rhythm. You're saying no panic. They're still serious contenders. Other people are saying mm, that didn't look good. There have been other games where they haven't really haven't really flown so look at that five game schedule they're sitting there now four and one uh, four and two rather they could quite conceivably be four and five in a month's time right yeah, I think the Bears one is a big, big game. That's a Monday night game as well. So right. both teams with an extra day of rest to play. Uh, but but it is a home game. Uh, I, I look at being able to beat Miami. I think Seattle will have a tough test going and, and playing the Rams with Aaron Donald. What a great matchup. Aaron Donald on the line. Russell Wilson at quarterback. Almost two MVP candidates, although we know how virtually impossible it is for a defensive player uh, to win the MVP. But Aaron Donald's always in that conversation. So, um, look, and, and some of the benefits of playing an early schedule they're done they, they draw the nfc west draws the nfc east as a scheduling opponent mm -hmm. they've already played all four teams and they were three and one uh or re rather four and oh against all four teams they've beaten the cowboys the eagles the giants and washington that's the only those are the only teams they beat but we got the loss last night and i thought nat i, I thought a very remarkable comeback for the rams in buffalo and I can make the case the Rams, a little bit of a sketchy. I thought it was, but I, it's often not called. Bill's got a really sketchy pass interference call on yeah. fourth down. They did. Uh, heading into the red zone with Josh Allen um, in that game. And you could easily make the case the Rams, because of how, how vociferously they come back, were the more impressive team and deserve the W a bit more. So, mm. yeah, I, I think, look, catching Seattle for the division, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be hard to mm. go on the road especially, you know, in this pandemic when we don't have a clue what playoff football will look like in January. How spaced right. out is it? Are the teams bubbling? A lot of questions. What if, what if home field advantage is completely and totally neutralized and we're bubbling the entire NFC in one city? So a lot of things get, get pushed up in the air, but I'm convinced the Rams are a playoff team. They could send a real message by, yes, beating Chicago next week, uh, going to Miami and beating them and being 6-2 and two going into their bye week when there's tougher opponents like Seattle, Tampa, New England still to come. Okay, let's move on. Uh, suffice to say that we're looking at those quarterback matchups going into the weekend and both Goff and Garoppolo, as we've identified and talked about, that uh, generation or in that generation of quarterbacks where they are not dynamic game changers, they are not looked at as Mahomes and Lamar and Deshaun Watson. They are there to game manage if you buy into that term. And Garoppolo got the better of Goff last night. It was an opportunity for Baker Mayfield against Ben Roethlisberger to demonstrate some more of his moxie given. And we talk about impressive offensive performances during the season that leave an indelible mark. That Browns performance against the Cowboys, though, almost blew that game in the same way uh, that the Bills did with the, the Rams. But that first half of the Browns-Cowboys was one of the best offensive performances this season, albeit against a very banged up and indifferent Cowboys secondary. And everybody's suddenly buying in to the Browns this season. Finally, we're thinking, Greg, this is going to be 
mm-hmm. a season that long-suffering, beaten-up Cleveland Browns fans can believe and take pride in their team. And Stefanski steady the ship. And we were going into this as the game of the weekend. And we were so excited. And within minutes, uh, they were derailed. Baker Mayfield never comfortable in the game. One of the key matchups, of course, was going to be this impressive offensive line of the Browns up against this Steelers D and the Steelers D won it hands down, sacking Baker five times. We saw the Minka interception as well. Here's the thing that really stood out for me, looking back uh, at the game, watching it back again this morning, the looking uh, deep diving into the stats and uh, and the box score. Baker completed seven of 11 passes for 74 yards with a pick six when he was free from pressure. So we take it, take that aside. Oh, this was the Steelers D winning it. Baker was hurried and hassled all the game. It was that happened a lot, but when he wasn't getting pressure, he was still terrible. So what on earth went so wrong for the Browns? Yeah. It, what that game reminded me of uh, with the Browns losing by so much. And, and you're right. It was billed very much as that changing of the guard reminds me of men's tennis and where men's tennis has been the last six years. You're waiting and we've all stopped waiting now because we were dumb to wait for Roger Federer. Yeah, yeah, he's not. you're not supposed to win at that age. Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, even a bit younger. And you're waiting because it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Sasha Zverev, whether it's, uh, you know, Tolmich, whether it's Milos Roundish from my own uh, native Canada. And you're waiting for these younger players who are Baker Mayfield's 13 and a half years younger than Ben Roethlisberger. And you're waiting. Yeah, changing of the guards. Going to start out playing these quarterbacks. How many AFC East quarterbacks are we waiting? And we and we pump it up. It's Mark Sanchez and the Jets. And it's Tom Brady and the Patriots. Mm. Or it's, uh, it's someone with the Dolphins. And it never comes to fruition. And that's what yesterday reminded me of, that Ben Roethlisberger is like, son, I've still got this. And, and even though he didn't have to do a ton, his defense stepped up and made life really, really easy for him. So... Look, I, I, I'm of two minds. One is that that is for all the compliments that Baker has got in being, you know, more self-aware, uh, not being as inflammatory off the field of play, which he's been highly criticized for. And the vast majority of it has been merited and deserved. That's a case where on the field, you know, Baker still got those happy feet. Baker still can't recognize, uh, you know, peripheral vision and a, and a pass rush and get rid of the ball instead of taking a sack or throwing that bad interception of which he threw two yesterday. So there's still some work to do. And uh, and just the fact that that Stefanski has to say after the game, no, when he's healthy, Baker Mayfield's our quarterback as if it would be Case Keenum. Like that is, you shouldn't even have to, it's like when you give the coach or manager a vote of confidence, if you're giving him a vote of confidence, it means there's a lack of confidence around that coach. That's, I don't have to go to my wife and say, honey, I just want you to know our marriage is as strong as ever. What led me to say that? <laughs> so that's where the Browns are at right now. There's just the fact he has to say that means there's questions about Baker's long-term viability and that he's not going to lose his job. He's not going to lose the gig anytime soon, but you're fine. If you're saying three years into this with Baker Mayfield, do we have a guy that can take us to the promised land or not? I mean, the Vikings realized pretty quickly with Kirk cousins, that might not be that guy a year and a half in. And I know he's more of a veteran quarterback, but Washington realized it before Minnesota did. So there's some evolution for Baker Mayfield. He's not a kid anymore. He's 25, Mm -hmm. almost 26 years old. And, and played all four years of college, obviously. So this isn't a guy that uh, that's too wet behind the ears to understand the difference between feeling the pressure and not feeling the pressure. He feels it now. I think so many great points. And in particular, I love the image of you just randomly going up to Mrs. Brady and asking, <laughs> just making that statement out of the blue. Genius. We talked a lot uh, all season long because for most of the season, he has shown more composure, more savvy. He And we put that down to his maturity. Stefanski and also what Stefanski is asking him to do, right? Which is let the pieces around you do most of the work and uh, you just need to slot in, protect the ball, which up until this game, he has been doing pretty well, make solid throws, but don't necessarily force the issue. Like he was doing early on in his career, five style, like trying to be that dynamic playmaker. Maybe, maybe you're not, at least don't keep chancing your arm too much. And We'll be fine because this defense is good because this O-line is strong. We'll take care of business. Now, Nick Chubb's out and there was a lot of talk about, well, that didn't seem to bother them. But these things have, we'll catch up with you, right? That You're losing an elite running back, depleting yeah. that, that squad, uh, that part of the squad. Then that is uh, obviously going to be a blow. But 
it just seemed to be the bad old Browns again. And, and it's not just because of the histrionics on the sideline from, from Beckham, right? Which was must have absolutely maddened Stefanski. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And if you didn't catch much of that, then Beckham didn't have much to do uh, at all in the afternoon. And he was an injury concern, of course, going into the game, as was Mayfield. And, and maybe there was more to that than meets the eye. Uh, and the reason Mayfield went out was because of the ribs. And that's why Keenan was in. But, but Beckham was just doing what Beckham does that suitably yeah. aggrieved, being very visible about that. Beckham apologists say that's the passion of the guy. He's a wide receiver. You expect him to be a shrinking violet. When things aren't going well, he's going to show that. That's football. That happens a lot on the sideline. And I kind of respect that view because I think you can make too much of what happens on the sideline. We've seen that before with someone as successful and great as Tom Brady keying in and saying, oh, look at this, the disharmony in the Patriots camp because of the way Brady's behaved on the sideline. I think you can overemphasize that, Greg. But at the same time, it doesn't look good when the team is struggling as badly as it was when Beckham was being as visible and distracting as he was yeah. once again last night. And the fact with a couple of exceptions in the last 12 months, he hasn't exactly lived up to the price tag or the billing. So I think that will worry Browns fans. What about the Steelers? Uh, another big day for Chase Claypool. Devin Bush, the injury there, of course, could uh, could be critical. Such a good player, and it's a time of recording unclear as to how serious it is, but we would think, based on what we saw last night and, and the word coming out of, uh, uh, of Steelers media, that that is going to be a long-term injury. Uh, but the, uh, nevertheless, even that, that takes the shine off it, looking good, right? Roethlisberger is now almost yeah. 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns, just one pick. Eight and eight team last season with abject backups. He's a, a, obviously an absolute difference maker. And, and it, same question about the Steelers that I asked you about the Bucks: Are they Super Bowl contenders? Do you think? I do think that. Um, but I wonder again: Is that the weakness of the of the AFC? Is that all of a sudden it's not? It doesn't just feel like, hey, it's the Patriots, and then it's everybody else. Mm. And it used to be that way for years. And of course, now and then you'd have a team sneak up the middle. Uh, and and make the Super Bowl, and obviously Pittsburgh was that team uh, with Big Ben going well. Uh, I you know in that Patriots era, beating Seattle, and then the other uh, you know other Big Ben Super Bowl losing to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, what are we talking? Ten years ago now, it's right, hard to believe right. that's a decade ago. But I I also do look at Pittsburgh's schedule, and and uh, if I asked who the best team they've beaten is, here's who they've beaten: that Giants, Broncos, Texans, Eagles, Browns. It, it might be the Eagles by a bit, and Philadelphia gave them a great game the week before in the uh, so-called Battle of Pennsylvania, but that's not a murderer's row. That's not, And four of those games have been at home, and now they play three road games. Here's the road games. Titans, Ravens, Cowboys, mm-hmm. and uh, and they got to make up those, those home games, uh, road games, rather, they haven't played yet. Again, four or five at home to start, and now three on the road. So we're going to get a much better idea but again, eventually, it's the, it's the old Bill Parcells adage. I've said it before. Your record is your record. And Pittsburgh at 5-0 and is accumulating wins. They're not having these slip-ups. Like, if we're going to criticize Pittsburgh for who they've played, we're also criticizing teams like the Rams, uh, you know, like the, uh, like the Indianapolis Colts, like the Chiefs last week against the Raiders. When they slip up and lose to what we think is an inferior opponent, it gets pointed out. And Pittsburgh just hasn't done that. The Saints have done that. When Pittsburgh doesn't do that, they deserve a lot of credit. And what a battle. If you ask me to pick right now between the Steelers and the Ravens in that division, I'm not sure I could because Pittsburgh's got that tradition and that infrastructure. Like, we're back to where we were when Big Ben was in his prime and Joe Flacco was admittedly in his prime. Uh, And it lasted a few years, uh, eventually a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, where those Steelers-Ravens playoff games and those Steelers-Ravens regular season games we just cannot miss. And right. when we get those right. games in the, in the AFC North this year, that's going to tell the tale. I think there's clear and distinct separation between Pittsburgh and Baltimore and obviously the two Ohio teams. And Cleveland will be, boy, if Cleveland gets in, it might be by virtue of that seventh playoff spot, that seven seed being available, because I don't think they'll be one of the top two wild cards if they're to make it at all. What do we think is going to be the wild card the requisite record for, I mean, definitely 10 and six, right? 
in the AFC. It's hard to see now. Yeah, it's hard to see a team missing with 10 and 6. And if you look more, there's been more winning in the AFC, the intra uh, interconference games, rather, between the AFC and NFC. Majority of them have been won by the AFC. But that said, um, I think the West is a little, I, I wouldn't gift anybody in the West a wild card spot. I wouldn't give any gift anybody in the East. I think we all thought the Patriots and Bills were playoff teams. Um, New England's got to pick it up. And I, I don't, I think it's too early for Miami. I think they're a year away. I just can't see it. I know they've had, they had an impressive win against San Francisco, but everybody's going to do that to the New York Jets. Uh, the Jets are a legit threat, a legit threat to be an 0-16 team this year. Now, maybe more so more so than anybody in recent, more so than the Cleo Lemon Dolphins, more so than the 0-16 Lions <laughs> that got themselves Matt Stafford in 2008. Uh, the Jets only have 10 more games to go, and that doesn't feel like that many uh, for the New York Jets. So AFC wild cards are going to be really, really tricky to judge. Um, and and it's the North is the most likely division where you might get two wild card teams in to me, uh, but the Browns are going to have to win their share of games against good teams to do that. The Cleo Lemon Dolphins, <laughs> loving that. We, that's who we got it there in 2007. Yeah, Wembley yeah. Stadium, that's right. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of unbeaten teams and, again, credible Super Bowl contenders, you gotta, you got to ascribe that to the Titans now. Uh, absolute thriller against Houston. And here's the critical thing, right? Derek Henry is picking up uh, all the headlines, and, and understandably so, of course. 264 yards, uh, 212 of those on the ground, that 94-yarder, which incidentally, Greg, uh, his top speed during that 94-yard touchdown run, 21.6 miles per hour. That's the fourth fastest top speed in the NFL this season. And he's carrying he's carrying quite a lot there to be running at that speed. Unstoppable. It looked, as it always does with Derrick Henry, like the uh, video game footage that we saw, that brilliant ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, The Best There Never Was, about Marcus Dupre. And you're watching high school footage of him. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, it's on ESPN Player. Go and dig that out. It's a brilliant documentary. A, 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 ultimately, a, an uplifting story drenched in, in tragedy as well. Uh, the clue is in the title there. This was lights out the best footballer anybody had ever seen the best running back anyone had ever seen and he'd go back and look at that footage greg of Dupre. it looks like he is running through as an adult running through kids and that's what henry looks like in the nfl it looks like everybody else around him has been shrunk by about 70 percent of their normal size and he's running all across them so he was absolutely dominant but it was Ryan Tannehill once again. And you know, as well as anyone on this show, we, we're banning MVP debate huh. at this stage of the season. That's a nonsense at this stage of the season. So we're going to talk more about the best players of the season so far. Ryan Tannehill absolutely has to be in that conversation. What a tag team. We talk about teams with identity, right? And the Steelers, you make a great point about that, what they're about. They, they understand where they're at now. They know how to do it such a balanced side the Steelers right you've got all three of the magic you've got a really powerful game-changing offense weapons all around you your veteran quarterback that has been there and done it and has got a safe head brilliant defense and then throwing the coach as well we'll call all four all four sides of it it looks like the Titans have almost the same kind of balance albeit a younger head coach in Mike, Mike Vrabel but he has an identity. They know what they're about. They have clarity on yeah. what they're trying to do. Tannehill is playing out of his skin once again. So it wasn't a freak season last year. A defense that is balling, they seem to be one of the most complete packages in the NFL right now. Well, I'll come, I'll come to Tannehill in a sec. I think there's a lot you and I could say there. Uh, but on Derrick Henry, mm. you, you always wonder how long this lasts. There are those guys, and, and we watched them when we were you know, teenagers or in early 20s, Christian Okoye, right? The Nigerian mm -hmm. nightmare for the Kansas City Chiefs, just bowling over people. But it, eventually it felt like either injuries or the, the wear and tear caught up with them, the tread on the tires. Um, Barry Foster. Barry Foster will be a name Pittsburgh Steelers fans remember as a guy that just – put his head down and pounded over people. So there isn't a lot of this Barry Sanders stuff. There isn't sort of the straight ahead Marshall Falk or Emmett Smith running. It's a power running game. And that for how much football has changed to where, you know, 300 yard passing games are not to be applauded. They're just, they're almost to be shrugged at you. Like you shrug your shoulders and go, yeah, that guy had 300 yards passing like three. It feels like 425 or so 
is the new threshold where right. you're actually impressed by a quarterback's passing yards. But when I bring up Derrick Henry, and I know that after five games, he's at a league-leading 588, and he led the league last year with 1,540 yards. And remember as well, he's catching passes once in a while. He had 200 passing yards last season. If we have a guy, we're not talking 2,000, we're not. But if we have a guy that's flirting with, um, you know, 1650 or even seven, he's on pace for over 1700 rushing yards at his size, at his durability, that's not supposed to happen anymore. So they've got that for a weapon now on Tannehill. Yeah. What looked like lightning in a bottle last year and quarterbacks do catch it from time to time. You've seen them and I've seen them. Um, you know, I, I'd argue Chad Pennington caught that uh, for the Miami Dolphins when, when he stepped in. In, uh, in a Miami uniform, the year that Favre was with the Jets and the year Tom Brady got hurt, that felt like a little bit of, little bit of fool's gold. There is no Miami Dolphins fan in your country, in my country, on planet Earth, on planet Xenon that predicted Ryan Tannehill would go to Tennessee and be the quarterback he's been. And there isn't even seller's remorse, really. Oh, the Dolphins gave up on Ryan Tannehill too soon. Nobody felt that. It was just not going to happen there, and they gave it year after year and time after time with Ryan Tannehill. So all this is a shock, but you're right. He doesn't turn the ball over somehow, some way. One of the most sack quarterbacks in, in, in the last decade in the NFL is giving up a sack every game. That's it. That's the list. He was sacked. He led the league in sacks twice. He gave up more sack yardage than any other quarterback twice. And in the top five, four different times, he was only a starter in Miami six years. And four times out of six, he was the most sacked quarterback. How he's got this protection, how he's got this uh, self-awareness now, um, it, it, it just tells you what a bad relationship it was professionally, it seems like, with the Dolphins, no matter who the coach with, no matter who the offensive coordinator was. And he's found a home in uh, Tennessee with uh, with Mike Vrabel as a head coach. It's been remarkable to see. It's a great story. And I I bristled at the Titans giving him uh, all that money. But what he's found, offensive coordinator Arthur Smith there deserves a yeah, shout out. Yeah. What he's found is somehow working. And you talk about a runaway winner in a division. That looks like more so than any other division right now in the NFL. That looks like the Tennessee Titans in uh, in the AFC South. They are going to pull away from teams and clinch this easily by probably early December. What a decision it was to, to bench Marcus Mariota and go with Tannehill for all the reasons you've just said. That wasn't like a clear cut. They were going into camp. This was a quarterback battle. Or, you know, is, he, is, is Tannehill being brought in because they're not convinced about Mariota? There was none of that. There wasn't, you know, you could look at the Foles-Drabisky situation going into the season. There was all of that, right? That wasn't, that Mariota clearly wasn't the, the finished article and he wasn't the de, de facto franchise starter for years and years that they'd hoped he'd be. But there was no quarterback controversy going into the season. To make that call, that will go down, I'm sure, is one of the, uh, one of the, the great quarterback changes mid-season uh, of recent memory. Just a quick line on the Texans and we'll rattle through some of the other games. The offense is starting to to hum a little bit. Now, I know that you can't compare any of the receivers he's got realistically with DeAndre Hopkins, but Will Fuller stepped up. He had six catches, 123 yards. I mean, Watson had over 300 yards, four touchdowns, uh, only sacked once, and that's a hell of a progress for, <laughs> for this Eastern Texas offensive line. And he was spraying the ball out left, right, and center. I think he had eight, maybe even nine different uh, different targets on the day. And, and, Receivers contributing as well, not just picking up the kind of one random catch. Cooks and and others getting getting involved. So while their season is is obviously done now, right? We knew it was anyway. I think realistically yeah. going in, going into this game, things are getting better than they were for for Watson compared to four or five weeks ago. But where do they go? Where's this franchise go, Greg? Because there's so much that. Uh, they need to address and tackle. They've paid Watson. They're clearly going to build a team around him. Is it a case that a new, fresh perspective and head coach coming in, assuming they're not going to give the gig to Romeo Cornell long-term, is it all they need? They've actually got the majority of the pieces here, a couple of extra additions and a new coach, and they might be there or thereabouts next season, or do you think this franchise needs a lot of change? Well, I do, I do think it's more the latter than the former, and here's the problem. Uh, given, given the trades they've made, 
they can't make they they can't make a lot of acquisitions in the right. draft. They've not got a lot of draft capital to play with, given Miami's got those picks and Miami's like Miami cannot believe their luck uh, that the, the Houston's sitting there at one and five. You're talking the potential. I don't think they're in they're in in the game for Trevor Lawrence. I don't not with the Jets uh, where they are, not with the Falcons where they are. The Jags feel that I feel that Jacksonville Jaguar uh, Trevor Lawrence destiny even ahead of the Jets the New York Giants get a win but there's a bunch of one and five teams plus the zero and six Jets um, but out of the two teams that are just you're shocked they're in that mix to be honest Minnesota's one and five and Houston's one and five and both teams want a playoff game that takes a lot of doing that to take a playoff team because um, because teams make the playoffs, but they're generally one and done. Like, look at the Detroit Lions last won a playoff game in 1991, but they've been there a fair bit. They've made their fair share of playoff games, home and road, and they've lost. The Vikings shut up a lot of people last year by winning a playoff game against Drew Brees and the Saints. The Texans came all the way back from a, a halftime deficit at home where the crowd's starting to tune you out, and they beat the Buffalo Bills in that Saturday afternoon playoff game. But for where the Texans go from right now, you got to play. You got to play, and you can't complain about what you don't have anymore. You've got to go out and get results. And the Texans look a long way. Uh, though that game went to overtime, and they've had some close losses this year, mm. they've got to do a little bit better than that in terms of, uh, in, in, and certainly in terms of defensive stops. That's four games this year that JJ Watt and the Texans defense have given up more than 30 points, and they face an angry Green Bay Packers team next Sunday. Not a great, not a great recipe for getting uh, healthy. Not, not, not at all. Oh, th- that schedule is just. Brutal. It's just not a fair fight. Uh, incidentally, what happens if the Cincinnati Bengals get the number one overall pick? <laughs> what, what, what happens then, Greg Brady? <laughs> I can't see it. I, I don't think they're a contender, but it's worth asking after. Uh, look, they, they've been in games, that's for sure, let alone the tie they ended up with against the Eagles, uh, in which you could make the case they were the better team. They had a back-and-forth game against Cleveland already this year. Cleveland's on the schedule. Uh, I haven't seen spread lines yet, but... I wonder if that's a lot more. That might be, a, you know, Browns by a field goal. I'd be inclined to think Cincinnati is super motivated, and and that might be their second win of the season if Cleveland Ooh. can't right the ship before that game. So um, I, I think Cincinnati is is going to be steady enough, and I think they've got the right guy in Joe Burrow. There's a lot of good things happening there. And look, to hang with the Colts as they did, a lot of people didn't give them a lot of opportunity in that particular game. So to be leading at halftime, I know they would have liked to have tightened the ship a little bit better in the fourth quarter. Um, But nonetheless, uh, I think the Bengals actually, there's no moral victories in the NFL, but the Bengals have come close to a couple of them. Um, And I don't think there's too much to complain about with, with where they're at. Joe Mixon on the ground's doing what he's doing. Joe Burrow's doing what he's doing through the air. I think there's signs of life in Cincinnati. I do. And it was good Philip Rivers as well, uh, as opposed to, uh, well, a lot of the, uh, the Philip yeah. Rivers we see this season. And if you li- break down I mean, a couple of things, the fact he brought his team back from a 21-zip hole, that's point number one. 371 passing yards, three touchdowns, important as well. Very fluent performance. This is the most important one for me, Greg, when you look at Rivers' stats. Uh, in terms of throws over 10 yards, right? Uh, nine of 13 for 190 yards. Uh, he's got the most ungainly action I think I've ever seen in a quarterback, and that's including my own throwing style. He is incapable of throwing the deep ball, right? He's definitely in that camp. We've talked about that's a myth with Brady. Brees probably is there. Rivers is definitely there. But if he can throw short midterm stuff, with this team, fine. That's, that's what they need, as they proved again Yesterday, a performance like that, I know the, the lack of the deep ball limits you. And we're talking about the long haul, the longer road of a season. You can get found out that way. If they know that threat isn't there, of course, it is an advantage to a degree to, to defenses. But then I would offset that with the 15 plus years of savvy and smarts that Rivers has. I think, and we were chatting about this before we went on air uh, on the radio show last night. Mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett and a lot of people saying it's about time enough enough if the Colts bring Brissett in they will they will make the playoffs if they don't Rivers could cost them I wasn't buying that then and definitely after this performance I'm not buying it now I think he's one of the I think Brissett is probably the, the backup sitting there almost as much as anybody similar to what Teddy Bridgewater was doing in New Orleans 
the last couple of years where you say you, there's plenty of NFL Sundays where you say Brissett helps this team, Brissett helps that team. Um, and I, I, I'm still a Philip Rivers skeptic. I think there's just too many mistakes. I think there's, uh, we talked about tread on the tires before. There's a lot there, and and you saw some some oil leaking to uh, continue the car analogy with him these last couple of seasons, <laughs> like late in the season and in fourth quarters of games. Because I don't think people have complained as much about the Chargers' makeup and their infrastructure and their roster as they have can can you know our borderline Hall of Fame quarterback get it done in the fourth quarter and, and not, not fumble the snap and not make that mistake. But the last few weeks there've been, you know, there've been notable signs of life uh, with, uh, with Phillip rivers. If you, if you wipe out the Browns loss quite obviously, and that was Cleveland's game of the season so far in terms of, uh, you know, defensive plays and defensive stands, um, you, you know, you look back and, and, you know, Indy played well defense. Their defense is probably, not getting talked about enough. Their offensive line has been good for Rivers, but putting Rivers in good situations, getting him takeaways, uh, getting him great field position because of punts, that's been helping a ton. And uh, and again, you know, you can only play who you play so far. They've got wins over the, the Jags, bad team. Jets, bad team. Vikings, bad team. Bengals, you can make the case. They're not a very good team. Like, I think they've, four of their, all four of their wins could be against teams that win five games or less at the end of the day, Nat, but it's been a theme of what we've been talking about today. You play who you play. And if you accumulate enough wins for the Colts and nobody else in the AFC steps up and goes on a real tear, I'd say right now they're about a, they're, they're about a coin flip to make the playoffs. And, and maybe a lot of people who didn't have the Colts as a playoff team this year are waking up to that. Okay, a couple more, Greg, before we get out of Dodge. You remember uh, a little while ago I said we're banning talk about MVP. Uh, on this show, certainly at this stage of, of the season. I'll make uh, an exception to my own rule here because of the genius of our producer, Ollie Thornton, uh, in our running order, uh, suggests Brandon McManus is potentially in the MVP conversation after scoring all of Denver's 18 points in their win uh, over the Patriots. I love that, Ollie. And I think, uh, He's yes. He's a Mark Mosley guy. He goes back to Mark Mosley winning the NFL MVP, the Washington uh, kicker way back was when. Like was that 81 or something? Was that right? Was that in the strike season? Adam, like, like according to Ollie, Adam Vinatieri would have five NFL MVPs <laughs> if he had his way so far, right? One for the thumb. One for uh, all the fingers. <laughs> so McManus getting it done uh, and maybe more importantly, the Patriots offense not getting it done against quite a banged up Denver D, uh, Cam Newton led the team in rushing yards, 76 rushing yards, uh, but couldn't get anything going in the air. The Patriots, a lot of talk about their lack of preparation or their uh, challenge preparation for the game being a significant factor. They looked, and with Newton being out, of course, for the last couple of weeks, they looked like a team that was ill-prepared because of that. But mm-hmm. then we look at the Titans' performance against the Bills in week five, and that's you know, kind of shoots up to some degree the, uh, this argument uh, of, of a lack of preparation. Dropping out to two and three, this stat blew my mind. Well, uh, maybe it didn't or anything. We put it in context, but nevertheless, it, it just emphasized the extraordinary franchise the Patriots are. It's their first losing record through week five since 2001. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But everyone was buying into them as a playoff team and, oh, it's all good and Cam's the, the future now and who, Tom who and all of that stuff. Now suddenly not so clear cut at all. I think it was the first time, Nat, we saw, we saw Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton, healthy Cam Newton the last few years and some of the downsides. And I bet you there's Panthers fans that watch that or even just saw the highlights of that 18-12 loss to Denver and they go, yeah, um, that's, that's the Cam that we knew that's the cam we knew when he was healthy that doesn't always make the best decisions doesn't always rally his team four sacks obviously the two picks first year first game this year obviously he's thrown multiple picks in a game and let's put it this way if, if you you know you lose the turnover battle and you lose it by three and Denver doesn't turn the ball over and they didn't that's a big factor right there no on a, on a regular basis I should say Locke did throw the couple interceptions, but they still lost the turnover battle uh, thanks to the fumble uh, for New England at, at a costly time. So, look, th- there's more than enough ammo to suggest New England can right the ship, but for all the praise about Cam, and it was there early on, and then he got injured, and we thought, well, uh, they win that game with Cam Newton, they do this with Cam Newton, uh, the, the COVID-19 diagnosis, I should you know document as an injury, fair or not, mm. but if you're out, you're out. I would look and say there's a lot of Panthers fans that – 
you know, remember the 15 MVP when Cam Newton could do no wrong, taking them to the Super Bowl, but they remember some of the 17 and 18, 2017, 2018 Cam Newton games when, when he could do some wrong. So they're getting um, a very enigmatic quarterback these last few years who's been outplayed in his division. Remember back in Carol in the uh, NFC South, you're going up against Drew Brees regularly, even Jameis Winston, Matt Ryan in Matt Ryan's MVP season and some very good Pro Bowl seasons. And oftentimes Cam would come up short to those quarterbacks. So I still think he can play better than he did on Sunday. I think he's got some real tests to come. Still two games, obviously, against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and Josh Allen, and he's probably going to have to outplay Josh Allen for the Patriots to win those games. Still think he's capable, but this shows you the signs of inconsistency. New England's going to have once in a while with him. Uh, the Dolphins are in the AFC East race, of course, now after uh, their win against the Jets. Uh, Marley, uh, Tom and the crew put out, uh, and I give a shout out to Andy as well uh, on our social team, uh, put out a poll on Twitter, Greg, at the NC Show, if you want to follow us there. The same handle on Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, the, and I love this the biggest losers poll. All those, all those kind of polls we we endorse wholeheartedly on the show. Biggest losers from week six football Sunday. Uh, the Packers forty eight percent. The Vikings nineteen percent. Uh, the Jets, 26%, and other, 7%. And then uh, a lot of you appreciate this, have got in touch with your others. So uh, uh, get involved with that uh, if you can. By the time you listen to this, it might still be live. Uh, but other stuff going on on the social feed. So let's uh, wrap with that Jets-Dolphins game and really just talk uh, about Tua because that was the, uh, the big story, of course, that the Finns had it in the bag. So they wheeled out Tua for the last drive. Two throws, two completions. So... Um, an absolutely perfect start, start for him. What was great was the camera cutting to Fitz and just a, a yeah. genuine big smile on his face. And uh, it reminds pumping, us. Pumping the, uh, the fans who were there. You don't think Aaron yeah. Rodgers yeah. is going to do that for Jordan Love next year? <laughs> oh, maybe not so, maybe maybe not so much. Really that, eh? <laughs> yeah, unlikely, unlikely. The, I mean, Favre, I'm sure Brett Favre did it for him, like getting everybody revved up when Aaron Rodgers would come in and <laughs> just, have, some, have some relief pitching for him. They just didn't catch it on camera, but he was definitely he was definitely doing that. The, it, but it kind of reminds you know we look at the Alex Smith Mahomes situation, and that there are there are obviously situations that young quarterbacks come into where there isn't that ridiculously competitive and understandable in, in fairness to to Favre and to Rogers a competitive streak and dimension to it. It's going to be a natural and an easy succession. So that is great to see. And Fitz having uh, having a situation where you can sit to it for most of the season under fits has to be almost perfect. Although it will get interesting, Greg, if they are in all seriousness, let's say they are, you know, six and four. And in that wild AFC wildcard hunt and they're playing well, they're winning games, but fits is to use your word from a moment ago, erratic. And it can be, I wonder whether they'll call for Tua to lead them to the promised land. I wonder. It's a great question. And, and I, I wouldn't necessarily have put Tua in yesterday. I wouldn't necessarily have given him uh, those those minutes. Um, I, I thought he was winning. Game. He got injured. Can you imagine if he got, I mean, can you imagine yeah. if he got injured in that situation? Yeah. And, and, and look, you want, uh, you know, you want the, at, at a certain point, you, the dress rehearsal's over and, and you're getting your time. But I really didn't think it would come quite like that. When, when the Browns debuted Baker Mayfield, right? They'd started Tyrod Taylor for the first game. He was ineffective uh, by half of the second game. I remember that being an evening game in 2018 and they rolled with, uh, they rolled with Baker to get him in the game. But that was the goal then to try and come in at halftime, make a difference and change the direction and change the dynamic. You raise a really interesting point. If Miami is in that, uh, you know, flirtatious position of being a wild card team and there's, let's say not even a bad few weeks, let's say there's a bad five or six quarters in a row for 38-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick. And they deem, you know, in, in a game in late November, early December, our better chance to win is with Tua. They've got a fascinating call to make because mm. he will be coming in a lot more with, with a lot fewer game reps than a lot of the other younger quarterbacks. And generally speaking, you walk in, when you're a top draft pick, you walk in and, and you've got the gig. Look, the Chargers... Um, had really little choice the way it all worked out to turn the keys over to Justin Herbert. And that's obviously been a real positive right now. And the Chargers know what they've got. The early days, they know they've got an excellent quarterback. I know he's lost the last two weeks, but through no fault of his own, played great in Tampa, uh, played great against the New Orleans Saints, obviously, with the four touchdowns 
on Monday Night Football last week. But the Tua call will be really interesting because unless he keeps getting more reps, unless they can integrate him into the offense somehow, as it may be even some kind of Cordell Stewart slash type, Cordell Stewart right, coming right. in behind Neil O'Donnell in the mid-90s. <laughs> I don't, wow, that's a deep dive. I don't know a way that he can be fresh to come in and, and start games. I mean, I, he can be game tested, I should say, to come in and start important games in late November, early December. Not sure that'll happen. There are a lot of things I love about working with you, Greg Brady. Your insight, your humor, your energy, but also your deep dive references. I haven't thought of Neil O'Donnell for probably about 20 years, so I appreciate Super Bowl starting quarterback. I appreciate that. I, I'm going to spend my afternoon looking back at the career of Neil O'Donnell, reminding myself uh, of him. Um, terrific stuff, bud. Uh, always a uh, pleasure to catch up with you. We've rattled through. There's plenty we didn't get into, but such is life in the frenetic NFL. Uh, so much to cover, not enough time. But the good news is you will be back uh, with us very, very soon. Loved every second on the pod, Nat. Always happy to be on. See you soon, bud. Take care. Lovely stuff from Greg Brady. He will be back. You can count on it. So will we Thursday. You can count on that as well. So fascinating. Week seven matchups coming your way. Titans, Steelers. Surely that's the game of the weekend. Or the Raiders, Bucks. Looks pretty tasty as well. The Battle of Ohio. I know our producer, Ollie Thornton, will be looking uh, that keenly uh, and seeing whether Zach Taylor can arrest the slide there. And speaking of which, can Bacon Mayfield get back on the saddles? So all kinds of narratives rolling into week seven. And we will be across them. We will be there to get you up to speed on another weekend of NFL action. So we'll see you Thursday. Bye for now, gang. Podcast Network.